All right, so in today's episode, what we're going to be talking about is something called Project Echelon, or Echelon, but I'll, I'll say Echelon. So what is Project Echelon? So shortly after World War II, five of the world's major powers, the US, the UK, Australia, New Zealand, and Canada, signed on to a joint surveillance program in the aftermath of the Allies cracking the Germany Enigma and Japanese Purple Code. So just to provide a quick background for those of you that are a little too young or those of you who just uh, aren't brushed up on your history as much, the Allies were essentially the group of countries that were fighting against the Germans and the Italians and the Japanese, essentially. And the Enigma was a particular code that the Germans used uh, to communicate, and it was an encrypted machine that the Germans used used to contact one another overseas or uh, at far distances and things like that, as well as the Japanese purple coats. Now, if you watch the film uh, Imitation Game with Benedict Cumberbatch, which I highly recommend, it describes how the British were the ones that essentially cracked the Enigma code. It was actually, in particular, it was Alan Turing. So, understanding the importance of intercepting and monitoring signals intelligence, or SIGINT, as they call it, signals intelligence, these five countries, known as the Five Eyes, signed on to the UK-USA agreement, which divided up segments of the world for each country to monitor. And this, up until... A handful of years ago was literally, I'm not kidding, was a conspiracy that was laughed at. I'm not even joking. It was a conspiracy that was laughed at by so many people because they said, there's no way you can prove this. There's no way that these countries could be coordinated so well with one another to, to surveil and spy on people. And, um, and everyone was like, it's a, just a bunch of bullshit. Thanks to Edward Snowden, amongst other whistleblowers and what have you, this actually proved to be completely true. I'm not even kidding. Project Echelon was, has been going on since the end of World War II, since the mid to late 40s, all the way up until recently without being uncovered or detected or noticed, whether it's through Congress politics, through different investigative journalists. So to those who say that the U.S. government can't keep a secret, I kind of see what you're saying, but you know what? I think ultimately they can. I think, again, there were people that leaked out parts of Project Echelon, but again, no one believed it until documentation confirmed it. But anyways, you get what I'm saying. So, signal intelligence monitors all signals received from electronic communications, including radio, radar, telemetry, and just about any type of signal that can be broadcasted using airwaves, which is literally every form of technology that we have in one form or another. So the advent of satellite technology in the late 50s matched with Cold War paranoia led to a rapid expansion of this program, indiscriminately monitoring all communication signals worldwide. So Project P415, nicknamed Echelon, became the sort of dragnet surveillance program between these five nations, though it was controlled entirely by the National Security Agency, the NSA, which is the American intelli intelligence branch operating under the Department of Defense, which ultimately operates under DARPA. Now, the UK's intelligence agency, the Government Communications Headquarters, or GCHQ, became the secondary arm of the Echelon program. Again, extremely interesting as I'm going to get into it more and more. This is nothing new per se as of uh, 
today, right? So through Echelon, billions, literally billions of satellite communications were and continue to be intercepted and stored in facilities around the world before being sifted through or reviewed by computer algorithms searching for keywords that raise red flags. And the technology is also available to target individuals using not just phone numbers, but also voice recognition software. And the program's capabilities allow it to target almost anyone on the planet, including world leaders, businesses, private individuals, honestly, you name it, they could probably target an insect that's sitting on a donkey's ass, right? So despite this fact, it has more often than not failed its ostensible job of preventing major acts of terrorism. Now, I'm not going to get into the political side of it too much, but the whole point of all of it was that the government said, once this came out, the government pretty much said, we're doing this to prevent terrorism. Didn't really do much. And I think that whole terrorism thing's a bit of an excuse, if you ask me. I think it's more just to monitor the rest of the world for many other reasons other than that. So, although there were a number of Echelon satellite intercept stations around the world, there are a few key locations pointed out by many different whistleblowers. So, the largest operation is located at the RAF Menwith Hill Station in Yorkshire, UK, where over 300 million emails and phone calls are monitored daily. Can, uh, many different whistleblowers have also pointed out that a clear indication of Echelon involved stations are large geodesic domes known as radomes. Now beneath these domed enclosures are satellites hidden from the public essentially and that's the purpose of such domes. I mean there's domes all over the world for many different reasons. I, I'm not saying just for government secrecy and all that but the fact that these domes blend in so well and people never really know what's behind there it kind of gives you a bit of an insight into what's really going on. So, in the U.S., the primary station of Echelon activity was originally at the Army's Yakima Training Facility in Washington, but it then moved to Buckley AFB in Colorado, home to more extensive infrastructure and has a lot more supercomputers that are able to process the copious amounts of data and the such large amounts of, of computer information that gets collected there. Now, another important base is the Pine Gap Surveillance Facility, located near Alice Springs in Australia's Northern Territory. Codenamed Rainfall, this base is a main hub of cell phone geolocation and supposedly necessary to more precisely track terrorist targets with drone strikes. Now, the sentiment of drone operators doesn't seem to support this alleged precision. So instead of targeting specific people based on traditional intelligence, the program targets the SIM cards of cell phones. So it doesn't target the people, it targets the SIM cards. And this was later proven to be an unreliable tactic, but I think, again, if we go back to my main point of how the government was spying on actual people, what I find extremely interesting is that you've, you'd believe it or not, you're essentially reading someone's mind to a certain extent when you can hack into their SIM cards. It's an extension of the human brain, especially in today's modern society. So according to Edward Snowden, one of the many whistleblowers, or probably the main one of his time, the U.S.-operated stations almost also exist in countries outside of the Five Eyes. So they exist in Germany, India, Brazil, Japan, and Thailand. And stations operated by GCHQ, which is the U.K. intelligence, as well as Australian intelligence, exist also in Kenya, Oman, and Cyprus. So all the information collected globally is processed, and then sent to NSA headquarters in Fort Meade in Maryland, where it is filtered 
before the agency decides what it feels comfortable sharing with the other nations involved in the program, which is ironic because, again, the U.S. for some reason always seems to have this controlling grasp on other countries, even when they're allied with them. Okay, so in addition to ground-based intercept stations, the U.S. launched several billion-dollar satellites to intercept signals transmitted into the atmosphere that would normally diffuse into space. And these highly, though classified, satellites are said to have 300 feet diameter umbrellas and are put into highly elliptical orbits to capture signals from the largest possible area. So they pretty much put them up as far up as they can until it really essentially hits the, the edge of the atmosphere, if you will. So it's believed that the U.S. launched several of these satellites since the early 90s in order to intercept the broadcast with the purpose of monitoring ballistic missile flight telemetry and, believe it or not, UFOs. And I think they've been able to monitor them. Now, Trumpet, Mercury, and Mentor are the code names given to these satellites believed to be in geosynchronous orbit, collecting SYNCINT. So, these satellites are able to intercept and relay every signal type for the NSA's surveillance needs. This includes COMINT, which is communications between people, ELINT, which is short form for electrical signals other than voice, such as radar, satellite, or different types of telemetry, and then MASINT, which is the signatures of electronic instruments, and FINCINT, which is electromagnetic emissions from testing of foreign aerospace surface and subsurface systems. Now, Here's what's very interesting. Project Echelon, as I just described it, is exactly what is going on on the front end. But on the back end, Project Echelon's main goal, believe it or not, is to develop. And this is, for some reason, this time, this project and program was filtered through NASA, not DARPA. Why? We'll, we'll probably never know. But the main purpose of the project, aside from the satellite tracking, I mean, I, it, it's kind of like... There's a few steps to this. Step one is you put a bunch of satellites all over the Earth that are very difficult to track and see because those satellites are supposed to be digitally invisible, let's say, and so or radioactively invisible. And so once you put a dragnet, a dragnet like meaning a metaphorical net all around the planet where you can essentially uh, scan everything that's going on, what do you do next? You then put that same type of technology onto other planets not just for exploration, but for other reasons that NASA obviously won't disclose. So this is the big part of it. So within Echelon, there's a sub-program called Project Mars Bees. And so let's put it this way. It's essentially miniature robotic insects that behave on their own using artificial intelligence in a way that people thought would not be possible, at least for another, say, 10, 20 years. But they're doing it now. And so NASA's Mars rover has gathered a lot of exciting data and photographs, but they're moving at a very slow pace. And so these robotic bees or insects were created. And they're multi-purposeful insects, by the way. So you have a, for example, you have a robotic spider. And then you have a robotic bee. And then you have a robotic let's just say, for example, butterfly. Each one serves its own purpose. The bee is more for mid-air kind of stuff. 
The spider is more for ground, and then the butterfly is completely high up and aerial. These are all drone-like, but they think for themselves, drone-like insects, okay? And so why would NASA be developing this and there would be no inclusion of any other agency, at least that we know of. And I think the reason is because aside from exploration, which again, they always need a legitimate front to give an excuse as to why they're developing these things and why they're putting it into the public. So they need a reason to legitim legitimize it, which is totally fine, right? I think ultimately if we keep going w with, uh, with the, these Mars rovers and stuff, we're not really going to get anywhere just because of the ergonomical issues that the Mars rover faces. It can't really go between certain rocks on Mars and stuff. It can't really do certain things. But the interesting thing is that these insects, I'm not even kidding, are literally meant to be able to fly miles and miles away from, from Earth. They can go and they can fly in space and they're also multi-environmental multi adaptable. And I find this very peculiar because a couple of people from NASA have come out and said that it's being used for other purposes. Now, whether that's for other things in space on Earth or for on Earth, I'm not sure. There is a whistleblower who came out who, who did not ask to be named, or sorry, did not want to be named, but he then died in a car crash a week after he came out and said this. So he came out, he made some claims, and then he retracted his claims a couple days later and told the journalist he was speaking to not to publish this. And then all of a sudden he dies, like four or five days after that. Again, I'm not saying it's a, it, it's a coincidence, but we have to examine all aspects here. So here's what he claimed. He claimed these insects were used. I'm not even kidding. These insects were used to fly to other planets and secretly infiltrate advanced civilizations because of the fact that the Aliens in which have made agreements with the United States government or the human species was that a certain amount of humans could be abducted every year, as I've spoken about before. Again, this all starts with the 1954 Guriata Treaty with Eisenhower, where he made a deal with the aliens. And there was an agreement, which was that they can abduct a certain amount of humans every year, as long as the humans are put back peacefully and they're only used for studying purposes. In exchange for that these aliens would give the United States some of the technology they have. Now, of course, we're not morons here. These extraterrestrials would not give their most advanced tech, maybe because they truly think humans can't handle it or because they're trying to be deceitful. And that's the point of these insects. They're supposed to head to these other planets and infiltrate and kind of blend in with the rest of that civilization. What, now, whether that civilization has living organisms in which are that of insectoids, probably do. I mean, just for the, because of when you look at science and everything and the way that the environment works. But even if they don't, they're small enough to be able to hide and to be able to be dismissed very easily. And so when you look at all this, the whole point is so that people or these, these bees or these insects can go and examine these type of extraterrestrial people and extract a technology that has not been given through this Griata Treaty. Okay. And on NASA's website publicly, they say, and I quote, NASA's website envisions the robots as roughly the size of a bee, but with larger cicada-sized wings. And so researchers imagine the bees will be capable of working independently or in teams to collect different samples and explore multi-planetary investigations. This is very interesting. 
And the reason I say this is because of the fact that when we look at the big picture, what we're seeing here is a sort of subliminal warfare, if you will, that is occurring that many people around the world are not aware of. Actually, I would even dare to say probably like 98, 99% of the people. So we then have to think to ourselves, is this beneficial or not? We don't know. What we do know is that a lot of these complex surveillance programs are actually doing things illegally. Not only are they doing things illegally on Earth, but within these programs are hidden sub-programs, such as the ones I'm speaking of now, in which are made for space. And there seems to be a direct connection between intelligence, the intelligence community, and human surveillance, and that of technology and surveillance of other races and species in the universe, which I find extremely interesting, by the way, and I think it's something that's very understated. And the reason I say that is because of the fact that there's so much going on with regards to space that we don't know about, but certain people in the intelligence community certainly know about, that there seems to be a reason as to why they want to surveil not just humans on Earth, but they want to surveil other advanced civilizations that are out there. So let me know what you guys think. This is certainly open to speculation. I'm going to be completely honest. There, we cannot come to one forthright conclusion here, but the fact that it's open to speculation means that we can sort of extrapolate and interpret as we see fit in a very logical, reasonable, and understandable manner. So let me know what you guys think, and we will catch you next time. Peace.